My name is Brent. I live in a normal American city, in a normal American state. I love my mom and dad. I even love doing my podcast. Welcome to Fandalites, the podcast where myself and Jenna read every Animorphs book in chronological order and then discuss them uh, week by week. This week we are doing Megamorphs number four, back to before. This is the final Megamorph, and boy howdy, does it fucking slap, as the kids say. Is it the best Megamorph, do you think? Uh, It is the one I have enjoyed the most, I think, but that's because I am a slut for alternate realities. Oh my god, this, yeah, this hit all of, like, all of the things that I like in fanfic, this book hit. It hit them all, Brent. It is extremely the wish from Buffy. It is extremely <laughs> the wish. It's just full, full AU. It's so good. Uh, so before we get too much farther, I'm going to note that uh, the cocktail that I have developed for this Megamorph is based on Rachel. It's called the Warrior Princess. Hell yeah. Uh, I'm still playing around with the recipe a little because, as it turns out, the cocktail spice that I have had gone bad. So mm. um, right now, it definitely involves King's Ginger Liqueur. A macerated juniper-only gin, a little bit of Angostura bitters, some pearl dust, and sparkling rosé. I'll update the recipe in the show notes when I when I get it done, but it's it's beautiful and sparkly, and it will kick your ass. That sounds amazing, Brent. That sounds so fucking good. It's what I could come up with for Rachel. Yeah, I think it sounds perfect. It sounds a little spicy. And if if this book has taught me anything, it's Rachel is very spicy. Oh, man. Rachel is amazing in this book. She's so fucking badass. Oh, my God. For those of you who haven't listened to a Megasode before, we usually do the Megamorphs. Just we do a a recap in chronological order. Because they're so big and there's so much. So let's get started. Yeah. So the opening chapter... Is a horrible, horrible, horrible vision of a really, really bad battle. And they're they're at the tail end of it, and they've won, but they're all, like, missing limbs. Jake is dragging himself around, entirely missing a limb. Yeah, he is a three-limbed tiger. There is a a human controller begging for death because (sighs) his, his host is slowly bleeding out, and Jake is telling him in thought speak... Like just just leave him. Give this give this host some dignity before they pass. And the Yurk's like, I can't. The skull's smashed. Uh, the the ears are blocked. I can't get out. And they just fucking leave him. Yeah, yeah, Brent. It really brings to head all the jokes that we make about how the Anwarfs don't kill controllers. It's like, I mean, we knew we knew that they've been killing controllers the whole time. There's no way they couldn't be. But this is really like. There it is. Yeah, I, I don't think that we have gotten this visceral a description before of the yeah. aftermath of one of their fights, and it really underlines why they are so insistent to themselves and in the their descriptions of their actions that they go out of their way to try and minimize human casualties. Yeah, it it is... It is pretty heart-wrenching, and I think it really sets up well the the thing that makes Jake take the droids' offer, which is, what if you weren't Animorphs? Mm. What if nobody was Animorphs? What if Buffy Summers had never come to Sunnydale? <laughs> Everything would be great, right, Jake? Right? <laughs> Oh, and like, honestly, I, I know we bag on Jake as being like a, a biscuit 
right? Like a like a a, tri- a, a Weetabix, a re- yes. just the most flavorless cracker possible. Yeah. But the kind that you crunch up in your cup of blood to give it texture. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. But honestly, the writing in the chapter where he's having this internal struggle because the droid is just laying it out for him. Like, do you really want to keep doing this, Jake? Do you really want to see the darkness grow inside of Rachel until she can't control it? Do you Mm. really want to see Marco murder his mother? Do you really want to see Tobias living as a hawk for the rest of his life? (laughs) And dying as a hawk. Yeah. Do you want to know that when Cassie dies, it's going to be because she was following your orders? And you see him like he wants to say no. And he's just so tired. Yeah. It's it, it's extremely moving. And I thought it was a really interesting... Because the, the drove just lays out the entire series bare. Like, it, it, it's the core character arcs that all of these characters have been following the entire series. Not just a book or a couple books. Like, this is it. This is the, the stakes for all of these characters and, and how they're sort of developing and how these books are tracking them so i thought that was just really from from a meta standpoint a really fascinating thing to do and he does it jake is like well yeah (laughs) let's do it that's the thing like he's it's just it sort of trails off the end of the the first chapter where he's like i wanted to say no i wanted to say no i wanted and it's just like an ellipses and it's like buddy you are exhausted yeah the joe finds the moment Mm mm-hmm and I, I think that, yeah, the first chapter sets up that moment so well where it's like... Yeah, this I, is I his think, nadir. I think you had to. Yeah, I think you had to set it up so that we would believe that moment for the rest of the story to, to really stick together. And it does. He's laying in bed and just hearing this this controller begging for death. I'm so cold. Yeah. Please. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. So it's a hard cut. I, who Does Jake have the first AU chapter? Do you remember? No, it's Cassie. Cassie does because it's Cassie and Rachel are in the mall. Yes. Hanging out, having girl time, talking about fashion and um, that cute Jake boy that Cassie's into but won't say hi to. And how Rachel sublimates her hunting instinct by shopping. <sighs> I loved that so much because the Cassie has this really great sort of chunk where she's describing Rachel and as and her best friend and uh, really good at fashion and really not at all stuck up and just a, such a cool person, but also that she's waiting and Cassie gets the feeling that Rachel is sort of playing at being good at fashion because she just doesn't have yeah a better way of expressing her hunting instinct. And I thought that was really fascinating because it made me think back to our discussion about David and how I, I think if Rachel had been male, she might have been able to actually have a hunting instinct and like gone hunting. I think there's a chance, maybe not maybe not with her news anchor dad and lawyer mom, but I feel like she would have been drawn to and allowed to be drawn to maybe some some of those more violent or violent concept outlets but instead because she's a girl she's directed into fashion i think even as a girl if rachel had been in the rural midwest Mm. or even rural northwest yeah uh, that she still would have been allowed to get into that although she might have had to choose between that and fashion yeah granted my high school population was extremely small but there was a definite distinction drawn between the girls who were cheerleaders and the girls who were into hunting Uh, was it camo was it a camo line so I think, yeah, I think that's a good point where she probably could not have coexisted in these two worlds. But I think it's really interesting that Cassie senses 
something yeah. before even even things really kick off. She senses that there's something about Rachel that is present and waiting. Ugh, that was so good. A darkness crouching there. Yeah. That is expressed through finding deals. <laughs> yeah, hunting hunting sweaters. Yeah. And so they they're hanging out and they see Jake and Marco and that Tobias kid that's always hanging around Jake. And they, they decide to walk home together and decide not to go through the construction site. And this honestly is like the first sort of clue, I think, that that the timeline is not a hundred percent unadulterated, because we know, and this isn't our canon, we know from literal words in the books that Rachel has a photo of Tobias like in her underwear drawer, and that Cassie and Marco were buddies before they went through the construction site. And right here, Rachel doesn't really react to Tobias at all. And Cassie mentions, like, she knows Marco, but she doesn't really know him. Yeah, and I thought that was interesting. I didn't even think about the photo until you pointed it out, but that photo almost certainly has to have been from before Tobias was a hawk. Not because it was him as human in the photo, but just because I can't... I can't possibly imagine Rachel, like, tracking down Tobias's aunt or uncle and getting a photo of him. Like, I think that, I just don't see that happening. I literally assumed that it was from a yearbook. Oh, I think that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, I just, I assumed that maybe it was a photo she had taken somehow. Oh, man. Because I'm trying to, I mean, it would have to be Tobias's literal yearbook photo, because I don't really see him as being part of any high school clubs yeah he'd have to like be out at a place with people and rachel was there and that doesn't seem consistent with tobias is portrayed in this reality yeah actually this is all this is making me rethink the photo in her underwear drawer a lot more because how did she it ha- I mean, yeah it has to be just his yearbook photo but also lame unless that that's the continuity error maybe maybe she never had that photo and that book is the continuity error no, no, that's <laughs> canon. I like it too much for it to not be All canon. All right, fair enough. But yeah, but yeah, the Marco Cassie thing is canon. It, that's canon canon. They've talked about how they were friends before uh, before going through the construction site. She's not like, oh, and that's my friend Marco. She's like, that's Marco. I, I sort of know who he is, but I wouldn't say I really know him. Yeah, enough to say hi. And later on in the book, she actually says, we're not really friends, which is yeah. a lie. Yeah, you don't give your Nine Inch Nails CD just to anybody. Who is that? <laughs> don't you fucking dare, Brent. Who is that? that Nine Inch Nails? <laughs> I don't recognize that band name. Do you mean Nice is Neat? They were very popular in the 90s. <laughs> they had that album like the the perfect chocolate milk. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm more into format C's colon. Oh, God, that's so... <laughs> So strange. <laughs> we'll get into that. We will. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah, no, I think that's a good point that this timeline already seems, it, I think we're supposed to assume that the breaking point is them not going through the construction site, but there's clearly already differences. Yeah, there's clues that the Drode and Krayak have meddled a little more than just having them say, nah, let's not go through. And and actually, I think Tobias is described as actually hanging out with Jake and Marco. Like, I don't think they are super close, but I, I don't think they were as... Because in this book, Tobias is like, I stopped hanging out with them because Marco was mean to me. Like, he, was, he didn't bully me outright, but he clearly hated me. And I don't... Th- 
think that was the case in the main timeline. I thought it was. I thought I thought it was more or less described as like, we wouldn't invite him out, but if he was around, we would chill with him. But that is not the vibe that is really in this book. That's fair. I guess my, my vibe that I had gotten off of the main continuity is that while they were hanging out, Marco would casually dunk on him like he does on Jake and Tobias. Not actually being friends with them like that is not, like, it's not appropriate, really, for Marco to dunk at him like that, but Marco just does that to everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. So Tobias not being super good friends with him takes it personally, which Marco isn't expecting him to, but Marco probably should be expecting him to because Marco's not great with social cues. Yeah. I like the idea that Krayak and or the Drode, probably the Drode, altered this timeline so that Tobias has even fewer connections with Mm. this group. And then that's sort of why he spirals off in the way that he does. I really enjoy the idea of the Drode sort of stealth messing with the timeline a little more than what was agreed upon because Mm. he gets so fucking indignant and angry (laughs) at the end about how the (laughs) Elemis cheated. Oh, God, that's so good. Yes. So they do not go through the construction site. They just go normal way home. They see the ship crashing, but they're like, oh, it's an asteroid. Yeah, how weird. Uh, And then I think we have our first Axe chapter as sort of an uh, intervention there. And I really like that we get to see this vignette of Axe slowly losing his mind in the dome ship (laughs) under the ocean. Yeah, no joke. From isolation. Although I think, don't we get a Jake chapter first? I thought, because in my notes, uh, I immediately go from it's pretty fucked up that they just left that dude there to die slowly to Jake cried when Michael Jordan retired. Just wow. (laughs) Actually go to, from that to Tobias. Oh, okay. So I think Tobias might be, there might be a a bit there. Do you want to talk about that, that or Axe? Uh, let's talk about Axe first. We can, we can sort of skip around there because it kind of, um, it kind of goes around between them to show what their lives are like if they don't go through the construction site. And we yeah, get some really well paced callbacks to earlier events from books where they, in the main timeline, where they are the Animorphs and how those are experienced differently. And it's, it's really good. Kay Applegate yeah. fucking nails this book. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so Axe is in the dome. And instead of getting rescued, because Cassie has a dream about him being down there and they all trust her and they go down, Cassie still seems to have some sort of uh, impression that there's a voice in the ocean, but she ignores it because she doesn't have context for it. And so Axe is just... He knows if he stays in the dome, he could technically live out the fullness of his life there, that there's enough resources, but that the Yerks would probably find him before that happened and kill him so that he should probably bail I kill him or, or worse take him yeah so he's like well i'm looking out in the ocean i see uh these really sharp pointy blue things i want to i want to get me one of them oh man axe is so bad at naming fish <laughs> yeah what did he call what did he call them the blue blue blades blue blades blue is blades. what he called sharks but he had some even worse them. names for tuna what did he call tuna? I don't, I don't even remember. remember. It was something like okay. like drippy eyes or, or <laughs> something. But they're all very like obvious. I guess I, I'm going to put this down to the translation difficulty between Andalite and, <laughs> uh, and English. Yeah, that makes sense. Does it? Because they are thought speak. Everybody understands what they're saying. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and then I think we, we just sort of leave Axe for a while and go back to the main, the main story, which is Tobias. Oh, man. So <sighs> everybody who's read this book... Please go back and reread just the Tobias chapters. But every time he says, my uncle, 
imagine that he's talking about Axe. <laughs> because that was a fun game that I played, and it made this book 100% darker. Uh, I don't think this book needs any help being darker. It doesn't, unless <laughs> you're just full-on shooting into my veins with darkness like I am. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, because there's that whole chapter where he's like, yeah, my uncle fell asleep in my bed, so I had to sleep out on the couch, and it was really uncomfortable. But, you know, a lot of kids have it worse than I do. Didn't just fall asleep, passed out drunk. Yes. And it's like, I just wanted to sit Tobias down and be like, yeah, some kids do have it worse than you, buddy. But not a lot of kids. You've got it pretty bad. And he likes staying with his uncle Bor because at least his uncle doesn't care if he goes to school. His aunt keeps him home from school so he can clean her attic or her gutters or mow her lawn or do do errands whatever physical labor that she has set up for him that day and at least it sounds like she feeds him good fucking job alfangor yeah fucking alfangor good job alan fangor you did a great job with tobias (laughs) fangor here it's you really taking care of him my my dude this poor kid yeah so because marco is meaner to tobias he doesn't really latch on to jake and marco or jake i should say as much so he gets bullied a lot more and a lot more consistently even though jake stands up for him once he doesn't stand up for him a bunch more times or he's he's just alone more and so he's easier to pick on tobias has these two kids on his bus andy and tap tap which is the fucking weirdest nickname yeah I don't, I don't like that at all. <laughs> no, like, what does that mean? What is the, mm. uh, I don't, mm. I don't like it. Uh, and they just, they, they apparently took over from whoever Jake stopped giving him swirlies. Yeah, pretty much. And so they're just, uh, they're really beating the shit out of him on a regular basis. Yeah, it's a, it's bad. It's really bad. It's extremely dark. So he's vulnerable. He's a loner. He needs, you know, friends. He needs help. You know, he's here to help. Brent? Is it Mr. Visser and the Sharing? It certainly is, Brent. It certainly is. That's the name of my prog rock band. (laughs) Oh, fuck. So yeah, Tobias gets in with the the Shining. And I thought (laughs) his chapters are all sort of off, him off with the Shining, slowly getting sucked into the cult of it all. Is that what we're calling it now? What? The Shining? Oh, did I say the Shining? Sorry, I meant the Sharing. Yeah. Uh, So they sort of... I mean, they do a very good job of getting him to join the cult. Yeah. It's very impressive. Honestly, it, it's it's textbook. Yeah, I thought so. I thought that was all really fascinating to see the, those machinations in place and happening to our poor sweet Tobias. It's so textbook that I have to assume that Kay Applegate did some research into how cults draw people in and then slowly mm. indoctrinate them because it's like beat for beat. It is so accurate and so very good, but also harrowing. It kind of made me think about <laughs> that this very specific church cult that I was friends with a lot of people with back in college. And it, it was really, it was so fucking familiar. It gave me a very interesting sensation to read Tobias slowly getting sucked into it, knowing what was waiting for him. That's wild. End. That's wild. I've never been a cult recruitment candidate. Yeah, I mean, I never really was either, but uh, it was happening around me. <laughs> it was happening around me and I could see people sort of getting quote unquote chosen and, and recruited and plucked mm. the, the flirt to convert as it were oh shit yeah uh, yeah at angry area on twitter it is up if you know who we're talking about <laughs> i 
am always down to talk about that. Because that was so weird. It's so weird that... It's so weird that I was friends with so many people who were in a church cult in college. <laughs> Fuck. I mean, anyway. we, we were in the Midwest. You couldn't yeah. throw a rock without hitting a cult-like church. I guess, yeah. I guess. God. Uh, so it, it was all just... It was really well-written because I felt so bad for Tobias. And I wanted him so much to find something that would give him that emotional satisfaction. I just, boy, did I not want it to be an alien infestation. Well, once that actually happened, and even slightly before, he was not jazzed about that as the thing. He just wanted to keep hanging out with his big brother, big sister, and learning how to pool sharp. And, like, have people stand up for him in the fucking locker room when someone's trying to shove him in a locker yeah it takes it takes so little like the the sharing kids uh christ he says they're not like a gang but when he's getting stuffed in a locker <laughs> in the uh in in the gym one of them picks up a barbell and is like let him go or i'm gonna bury this in your fucking skull <laughs> and then one of them who just arrived for the next class steps up with them and is like yeah let him go which <laughs> is very gang like i think <laughs> Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. And they don't, they don't like befriend Tobias after that. They just sort of like defend him and then bail. Yeah, it's, it's so (laughs) wild. It's like he's, he is a member. So fucking leave him alone or we will actually murder you because what do we care? We can leave this host in prison. Yeah, no joke. So that was all a lot. And then, I mean, I feel like we can finish talking about Tobias's arc immediately because it doesn't really go very, there, nothing really happens after he joins the sharing. It goes exactly like you would expect yeah what happens is he gets way better at pool he feels included he gets a little self-righteous at jake about not being into it when jake shows up to one of their things because tom dragged him along because this is the first time in his life he's ever felt included by a group of people and not just immediately put on the outside and he opts after his two weeks because the sharing we find out after two weeks either you become a full member or you're out which is so fucking classic oh my god right yeah, put it all on the line. Also, Tobias had to give them his social security number the first day he was there, which is some like Scientology bullshit. Yeah, that's real wild. And I have to assume he only knew what his social security number was because his caseworker had a photocopy of his card. Right? Because he is a high schooler. <laughs> and he doesn't have like, like, you know, his uncle doesn't fucking know where his social security card is. And his aunt, who knows, may have burned it. So she never had to file a W-2 on all of his labor. <laughs> Uh, fuck. I mean, if anything, she would have kept it so that she could claim him as a dependent. Oh, that's a good point. Feels more likely. That yeah. is a good point. Okay. Yeah. Still. Still. And then he um becomes a controller. Yeah. A quote unquote voluntary controller. They strap him into an apparatus above a mini yerk pool, and he starts screaming, I've changed my mind, I've changed my mind, mm-hmm. let me out. Bill, who is his big brother, big sister, Bill, help me. Uh, and Mr. Visser's like, can you fucking dunk him already? I don't care about this. Yeah. And they do, and then a yerk goes in and takes control, and we sort of see that same uh, sharing of the yerk's experiences that we've mm. been expecting because of our previous yerk controller narrated bits um, which I like I like that it remains consistent that he immediately knows off I done fucked up (laughs) yeah Uh, this is an invasion and consequences will never be the same (laughs) 
<laughs> yes. Yes. And they had an interesting back and forth throughout this book in that the this Yurk is a spy for Visor 1. Oh man, that's the wildest fucking shit. And is pretending pretending or maybe is but is also a Visor 1 spy is pretending to be a uh, speak speaker for the Council of 13 and tells the Visor like no full-on invasion we're still doing the soft invasion, quote unquote soft invasion. <laughs> Gross. The whole setup of this is that Visser 1 is convinced that the Council of 13 will issue the order, so she sends this Yurk ahead of time to just go ahead and give the order, and then eventually it will retroactively be the order, which is very Visser 1. It's very Visser 1. I really liked it. This this Yurk is so stressed out about the situation. He keeps going over Tobias's memories to find some sort of emotional release, but Tobias has had such a shitty life. <laughs> He's had such a shitty life. This Yurik is like, I can't, I can't do anything with your memories, dude. You're a fucking loser. And Tobias is like, yeah, why do you think I joined the sharing, you fuck? Yeah, that was so good. That was such a, that was such an interesting back and forth, because I feel like every single Yurk host sort of communication that we've seen has been radically different, and this was no, no change from that. (laughs) Yeah, they've been very individualized, depending on the specific Yurk and the specific host, and this was Tobias's one chance to use his shitty life to dunk on someone. Yeah. And then just do we do we want to finish off Tobias's storyline or do we want to flash back to that later as the books do? Uh we we can flash back to that later as the books do because I want to go, jump back to the beginning since we we're like a half an hour in and we're um nominally doing these in chronological order and we've just been talking about Tobias shit for a while. I want to jump back to Jake's first chapter where he cries when Michael Jordan retires the first time. This is the book where I figured out that his dog Homer is probably named after a home run. <laughs> Because he talks about uh, Mark McGuire's home run oh my God. streak, which, like, go yeah. go Cards. Yeah, here we go, Cardinals. Hey. I vividly remember driving through a McDonald's when the McGuire versus Sosa thing was going on, and yeah. they had some sort of contest to get a signed yeah. ball. It was a huge thing. Yeah, Mark McGuire hitting those homers was a huge, huge thing that I still remember vividly from my youth. I mean, we grew up in Cardinals country, so it was a big deal for us. So I think after Tobias, we have Marco trapping Rachel in order to pressure her into a date. <sighs> Marco's such a creep. He's a real, real creep. I hated it. <laughs> Ugh. When he gets older, he's going to get into like mystery or some shit. He's gonna. Mm. He's definitely going to get into PUA stuff and start peacocking mm. and negging. I, this is the darkest timeline, so of course he's already started. He He's a little bit of a creep in the mainstream sometimes, but not. He is full-blown in this book. Well, yeah, in Megamorph's number one, he's like, I'm, I'm going to turn into a mouse and go creep on some ladies at the pool. Yeah. Yeah, and in this one, he's like, oh, Rachel, you've been left alone. A pretty girl left vulnerable. That's such an opportunity for me, a man, to be creepy at you. That's a very fucking Dennis Reynolds take. <sighs> and the worst part is it works. Yeah, um, but the only reason it works is that Marco actually has something going on. Because he is, he is funny. He is witty. Yeah, he, he is funny and he actually has, uh, it, it only works because there's something to like about Marco. Yeah, well, and I think, I think if Rachel, like, you could not have trapped Rachel. <laughs> like, Rachel is not the sort of person who would have been like, who would have just said yes to Marco to get him to go away, which is a, what a lot of women and girls feel like they have to do in order to escape a dangerous situation in which they've been trapped by a man. Mall Rachel would have said yes to Marco. Knife Rachel 
Rachel would not have. No, no. And I think it, this Rachel, like, you, I don't think you could have pressured her into giving a pity yes. Or not even a pity yes and escape this situation yes. This is whole Rachel. The only reason, a big part of the reason, I guess, that Marco stayed into her was that she was not buying his bullshit. Yeah, she she dishes it out. And he once he realizes that he doesn't have to be creep marco he sort of becomes a more a more familiar marco where he's he's dishing the shit right back i don't know that he ever has to be creep marco i think he thinks he does yeah he thinks that he has to be a certain way to interact with women and it's not in any way the way that he has to be i think so and i think this was a good good moment for him i i really liked that in this alternate reality actually marco and rachel i I, are friends i don't love them dating but i like that they're friends i like i like that they because that that always seems like it's close to being happening in the books and that if it in the mainstream books like it's they they are so snarky in such a similar way it feels like they could have actually been really good friends so it it was interesting to see this alternate reality where yeah actually they do they land on the right side of each other it's weird to me that they get along better when they're not like in life or death situations with each other yeah yeah because i i feel like that would be creating a i know some people who were in the military overseas in in forever war that's going on currently and have come back since and are not in it anymore. And they're still friends with people who otherwise they never would be because of the fact that they were depending on each other for their lives and they can't just sever because of that bond. Yeah, let me offer an alternate take on that. Okay. Marco does not want to be in that war. He did not sign up. He is not interested in engaging with it. Rachel is super interested in engaging mm. with it. And I think I think that's what it is, is he finds that very off-putting. Okay. And he, I mean, that like most of his jokes towards Rachel are about how gung-ho she is and how willing to commit to this fight she is. And I think he's, that's so off-putting to him because that's the exact opposite of what he wants. He wants to tread. Oh, that's a fucking great take. I hadn't thought about that and it 100% squares this for me. So they are out on a date? Question mark? This is still the part that I buy the least. I can buy them as friends. Dating is going to end poorly for both of them very shortly, and they don't have time to find out in this book. Um, but so they're out on a date, and Marco sees Visor One, his mother, in a blonde wig, just sort of out and about. And he panics and starts to run after her, and Rachel starts to run after both of them, and then we- the fucking chase is on. We find out later on that Visor One randomly appearing in this museum, just teleporting there, is part of the temporal breakdown that Cassie is causing by her very existence. which we'll get to. (laughs) get to that so they go on this very uh elaborate chase scene where they're like weaving through crowds and jumping over stairs and then there's a a a rotating door and uh visor one gets through and then when marco tries to go through she slams him into the glass which i thought was a fucking good move and then rachel goes around it and they are they're chasing them and then visor one makes a call for backup and then they end up in this alleyway where basically visor one is on one side they're in the middle and then the the backup is on the other side and it's rachel goes into full-blown fucking action hero mode like she picks up a discarded bottle visor one picks up a bottle and they both have like these bottles and like I think Visor 1 gets smashed and so she has a sharp weapon and like they're just whacking at each other. Brent, 
It was so good. It's amazing. And Rachel's the one who is like, Marco, we're going on that fire escape. Jump. I'll give you a leg up. You got to run. You got to run, man. It's amazing. Rachel is extremely Rachel in this alternate timeline. Yeah. So they climb up to the top of a roof and they are getting shot at by the reinforcements with regular bullets. And then they switch to Dracon beams. And Marco and Rachel are like, okay, we are getting shot at by lasers. What the fuck? (laughs) What the fuck? What the fuck? Oh my god. We find out later on, by the way, that uh, Jake and Cassie just sort of accept this, which is very good. I respect it. I mean, they are both having their own weird experiences that we'll get to. But they are very chill when when they are told this. They're sort of like, yeah, okay, yep. I think it speaks to the fact that if Marco and Rachel both agree on something and are insistent that it really happened, you kind of have to listen. Because Marco Marco would prank. Yeah, he might prank you. He he might do it for funsies. Rachel's not going to go along with that same one. Absolutely not. Don't matter if they're dating. Uh, so we jump back to Axe. We have this vignette of uh, Axe getting the shark morph. He keeps calling it a blue blade because that's what he's named sharks. And he, he escapes. I really appreciate him getting this morph, be- like the vignette, because I wondered about that. When they first found him, he already had the shark morph. And I was like, how did that happen? And there's this extended sequence where he like he has to have a force field at knee height and it's full of water and jump in. And then I guess he discovers that the shark's actually dangerous. Even if it can't bite you, he's got to keep like penning it in farther and then acquiring it and uh it's i i really appreciate it because i wondered like how did he get that shark morph and they it really is laid out explicitly and it's fun it's very well elaborated upon uh and and then he the yurks show up and he's got to take off so he morphs shark and, and and takes off and they do not expect the shark to be such uh an apex predator so he tears through a whole fucking bunch of taxons mm-hmm. and just fucking disappears on them while they destroy the dome ship and then so there we do a time jump for axe or i think actually that happened earlier and now we've got a scene of axe he's tells us that he was sort of exploring and trying to figure out what the uh, main intelligent life on this planet was. He thought it was cows. He really thought it was cows, which I think we... That's a callback to the one where he morphed a cow because I feel like he mentioned he'd thought about that yeah, before it makes sense that he would be like which creature is most like andalites that's the one that's in charge but if they're not sorry x sorry buddy sorry buddy oh, they're they're pretty hefty for for an andalite like i figured he would have assumed i don't deer. think he probably saw any deer yeah uh, i think fair. it's probably it's easier to see a cow than a deer just in general uh so they we get all this backstory and then we zoom out and he is morphed human in a mental institute. Which might be sort of an anachronism because I thought Reagan shut down all the public mental institutions in the 80s. So who's paying for him to be there? I don't there? know. It's a good question. I mean, presumably the state, but like you're saying, yeah. Right. I, I figure they just put him in a private prison like everybody else or leave him on the street like all of the homeless. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a mystery. Well, the point is that he gets either Oreos or Hydrox, and we know this is the darkest timeline because he's really into them and not Cinnabon. Yeah, I mean, he probably just hasn't even had Cinnabon yet, which is what is what makes it the darkest timeline. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. He's like... He's very into the two chocolate cookies with the cream in between, and he's not even he's not even thinking about being Mr. Aximili Bun. Oh, another broken heart in this alternate universe. It's breaking my heart anyway. <laughs> yeah, so he hangs out in the Institute for a while, but when he learns that he's not going to be given cookies anymore... 
<laughs> because he's too uh, intense about them, he breaks out <laughs> and just leaves because there's nothing there, nothing else for him to learn there. He This does contain, and, and we had different thoughts about this, so I feel it's worth bringing up. I thought it was another dig about how books are better than the internet, uh, and you had a slightly different take. Well, because he, he mentions... Uh, it, it, the primitive technology and books which are uh, super efficient I think is the word he uses yes yeah, so efficient in the main timeline the first time X discovers books he's like this is a, such a great important technology I can't believe you created these before computers like he's so they seem so advanced to him they seem so futuristic that he's shocked that the human humanity has had them for so long and only now are getting to computers isn't that wasn't that a whole thing didn't he have a whole monologue about how that was super impressive to him like sure they visited the moon but books have you seen books andalites haven't made books I literally can't remember. And because like uh, Elfangor also has an issue with magazines because he has no idea what they are at first. That's true. That's true. And and because they have pictures of people sucking on white sticks. Yeah. Yeah. In front of waterfalls. Mm. So I thought that was an inaccurate thing where it was it might just be. like Axe was less impressed with books. <laughs> this might be another uh, sort of continuity gap created by the Drode fucking with things prior to what they were actually supposed to fuck with. Yeah, it's possible. So Axe has a plan. I don't think they actually say what Axe's plan is, but we get to see it in the next chapter, which is oh, Jake's sure chapter. Oh, fucking do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so Jake has been in some of Tobias's chapters because Tom is dragging him along to more of the sharing events. And he's just sort of, he's not really into it. He's not really creeps a, Jake a joiner. Out. Yeah, at, at, which is fair because it is creepy. Uh-huh. Yeah, and Jake is going to go, but he gets a call from Cassie. Actually, we missed a Cassie chapter because there's a, a chapter where Cassie wakes up at night because she's having all these horrible dreams about being a bird or being an animal and how there's aliens. And, and she sees like a vision of Axe. And so she goes into the barn and is sort of hallucinating and freaking out. Every time Cassie goes in the barn, she has this feeling that there is supposed to be a hawk mm -hmm. right there in the rafters and that Axe is supposed to be right there. Yeah, so she's she's clearly somehow breaking through this, this sort of illusion or it, not quite illusion. That's not an accurate description, but she's she's experiencing the real main timeline, e even though they're in the AU. We find out at the end that she's subtemporally grounded, but I thought it was pretty obvious early on in the book that Cassie, of course, was going to be the one who could tell that something was wrong because she's always been the heart of the group. You've definitely talked a lot about how Marco's the heart of the group. She's the morals of the group. Marco is the sense of humor of the group. Sure. Okay. Ca Cassie is their heart. Okay. Marco is like their spleen. I don't disagree. They're funny bones. Okay. You've definitely called Marco the heart, but-, but, well, but, but They're but, all but, the heart of the group if you, yeah. if you read it enough. Yeah, that's fair. But it does seem like, like Cassie is the one who originally hears Axe's calls, improbably, questionably. Yeah, it's interesting that she still experiences the thought speak broadcast from Axe, even though she hasn't gotten the morphine power yeah. and doesn't know that she's in a stream. You would expect almost that Tobias would experience them because he's more closely related to Axe. Yeah, in that he is actually related to Axe. <laughs> Yes, in that Axe is his uncle who is getting drunk and sleeping in his bed. Yeah, and, and especially since we had that book recently where they, we know that if you're more connected with somebody, you're, you're going to have a longer thought, re 
thought speak range with them. Mm-hmm. So it does it is it is sort of weird that Tobias doesn't get that. Yeah, and and I think that when it explains at the end that Cassie's subtemporally grounded, she's still experiencing that because she's still who she is in the normal timeline. Yeah. She's still connected to that. So she's getting that transmission like she would in the normal timeline. Or or she's remembering getting that transmission in from the normal Ooh, timeline she I might like not that. actually be getting it but she might just be remembering that experience i like that she just might be getting the feeling that she's supposed to be experiencing it. yeah so cassie is clearly she's seeing she's seeing things she's stressed out so she calls jake and asks him to come study but jake's like no nah, i have to go to this dumb sharing meeting my friend tobias is going to become a member and then I mean, his already shitty life is going to go just even worse. I I don't think Jake says that. I'm pretty certain he says that to Tom. Anyway, Tom is like super into it. And I think Tom really wants to get Jake full membered, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, but it doesn't it doesn't pan out. And Tom is pissy about it. But when they get back from the meeting, they happen to see on the news, their mom calls them in and says, hey, check this out. There's this weird blue man that's like a deer and it's got stalks with eyes on it. And it's it's got like um, no torso, but like arms coming from a horse's neck. It's Axe wearing a Max Headroom mask, humming the theme <laughs> of Clutch Cargo and getting spanked with a fly swatter. <laughs> So so Jake's like, whoa, this is weird. But he sees Tom and Tom is fucking pissed. Yeah. Barely holding it together. Tom gets his fucking gun. <laughs> Jake is like, Tom has a gun? Yeah, Jake has this really great little section where he's like, only three types of people own guns. It's criminals, it's nuts, and it's pathetic people who think that guns will give them power. And I'm like, fuck yeah, Jake. Honestly, this is a great bit of characterization for Jake. So, so I, another very good action-packed sequence where Tom has to go lie... Or he's sneaking out and Jake is like, okay, it's going to take him longer to go down the stairs than me if I jump out my window and dangle from dangle from the roof and get into the van before Tom does. And then I can hide out in the back seat. And so that's great. It's wild. Jake stows away in the back seat, like in the back of the van. And Tom steals it and just tears ass out. The cops start, like, putting on their lights behind him. And Jake's like, all right, he's going to get pulled over. He can't use this gun. Whatever's happening is is going to be done soon. And then Jake realizes the cops are pulling in front of him, turning their lights back on and escorting him yeah. to the TV station. Yeah. So they show up. Tom shoots a guy. Jake is not prepared for that. No, I wasn't prepared for it either. Uh, and then another car shows up and it's Chapman. It's I think, is it Visor 3? Is Visor 3 there? I can't remember if Visor 3 is there or not, but there's definitely somebody with a Dracon beam. Yeah, and Tobias, newly yerked Tobias is there. And Jake is like, what the fuck is happening? Uh, and the answer is violence, because they shoot at him a bunch, even though he's he's too in, in the shadows for them to see. But he screams when Tom shoots the guard, because he doesn't know what his brother's doing. And they shoot at him, but he escapes. Although he does have a moment where he hallucinates tiger hands where his hands are. I think they're called paws, actually. <laughs> we discover later that that's not actually hallucination. Oh, that's right. He actually does. It's the timeline breaking down. Yeah. Um, so he's understandably freaked. He like hangs out for a while and sees them haul everybody in the new studio off, just out. Uh, and meanwhile, so Axe's message was basically like, he was basically blowing their whole shit up because he was like, yeah, 
aliens are here i'm an alien and i'm here but also there are these other aliens and they are coming for you and what he doesn't realize is that he's moved this from a quote on what what they call a soft invasion to a full-blown invasion with a lot of death now and that was on him it's turned from a cold war into a hot war yeah it really did i also thought cold war but i, I really liked the phrase soft invasion because that's such that's such like the corporate a corporate way of putting that like it's like the soft opening it's the early access of invasions so the the weird thing i thought while i was reading this is that the whole rest of the book where it's a hard invasion mm-hmm. i don't like that phrase mm-hmm, me neither the whole rest of the book where it's a hard invasion goes the same way that it, i assume it would if Fister three got his way in the main timeline which is the anamorphs in, in very short time, mostly get murdered. <laughs> they don't have a lot of success against the shock troops of the Yurk Empire, and half uh, the planet says, well, have we thought maybe these visitors from the stars have good intentions? Yeah, people are split. <laughs> Teach the controversy. And they, so actually, like, there's a scene where they gather in the old barn, and it's Cassie, Jake, Rachel, and Marco, and Jake is describing what he saw, and Cassie's like, yeah, this is real bad, and Marco's like, uh, did that really happen? I know you believed our story about lasers, but yours sounds even weirder. It's like, Marco, you being a real rude boy here right now. I wish he was a rude boy, because then we could talk about Jamaican music. (laughs) We can talk about it. this Animorphs podcast. Uh Uh Uh-huh. What we've always wanted to do is talk about Jamaican music. Well, that's what I've always wanted to do. (laughs) I don't know about you. I got onto this under the impression that eventually we would start talking about uh, Rocksteady and Bebop and Ska and and, and Reggae and Rude Boys. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the only way I could think of to get you on the podcast is to lie to you about the Jamaican music content. That would You're be a Marco of, of yourself. You're a Marco of yourself right now. You you negged me into this podcast. <laughs> Actually, this podcast was Brent's idea. Just a little fun background fact for y'all. It 100% was. I posted on Facebook, what if we did a podcast where we read the Animorphs and talked about every book? Not realizing that that concept has already been conceptualized by several other groups of people. Yeah, who took all the better names? Uh, Vandalites is a fucking great name but there are better names and they were taken by people who did like three podcasts like like if you're not going to commit to reading 800 Animorphs books then what are you even doing that's what I have to say about that there are also podcasts who have great names that we didn't even think of who are still going on like the Wonder Yerks which is an amazing name yeah Yeah. fucking great yeah there's just a lot of better names out there that were already taken anyway anyway um, so they're all hanging out in the barn and they, they talk about how they definitely feel like there should be two other people here. And by people, I mean a bird and an alien. And they sort of talk through all of this. And it's mostly Cassie that feels that. But the rest of them, as soon as Cassie says it, they're like, yeah. So that's a nice moment. But then they all split up. There's a second axe drive missing where instead of physically going to a new station and like running in the background and just being there, that's when he does the full blown. He takes over every channel and he does this transmission that's like just an info dump about the Yerks. Right. Every channel except the station that the Yerks already control. And as soon as Jake sees this, he calls up Cassie and is like, yeah, yeah, this is what's happening. There's aliens 
and shit. And Tom overhears him. And then we have another ex- excellent, excellent action sequence where Marco has excused himself to the bathroom. To- Tom walks in on Jake saying, yeah, aliens are real. I think Tom's one of them. <laughs> And Tom's like, well, I'm going to kill you now. And then Marco bursts out of the bathroom to tackle Tom and fucking misses. He gets tripped, I think, right? Yeah, it's definitely a Keystone Cops type situation. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then Tom's like, no, I have a gun. Come, we're going to go out to the van. I've called back up. This is happening. (laughs) I like that. Nah, nah, you're you're not tripping me. I I have a gun. Come on. Yeah. Let's go. Come on, nerds. Come on, nerds. nerds. Get out of here. Nerds! I was on the the basketball team, so, you know. (laughs) Yeah, you didn't even make it on the basketball team, Jake. (laughs) (laughs) Ha ha! So he, they are, like, walking out, and Tom has a gun on Jake and Marco, and then who's there to save their fucking butts? It's Batgirl. (laughs) It is Batgirl, Brent! It is Batgirl! That was very good. I can't take credit. I got I got the idea from the DC bombshells line that has Batgirl, who is an actual baseball player. That's very good. Yeah, it's fucking Rachel, and she has a bat, and she just wallops Tom. Oh, it's amazing. A whole bunch. I really want there to be fan art. I hope that somebody's done this. Uh, Rachel standing, bloody bat, triumphant above Tom, holding his face. Like, yeah. what did you just do to me? It's so good. Yeah, she knocks the gun out of his hand. Uh-huh. Uh, I actually and then she fucking smacks yeah. him in the face. Yeah, and he's like, oh, we're gonna get you. We're gonna get you, kids. And Rachel's You're like- You're our meat! Yes, that's such a fucking good moment. He's yelling after them as they're running. You're our meat! You're our meat! It's so fucking good. It's such a good through line for these books where the Yurks are like, we're better than you because we're not predators. And this is really putting it on the line. Like, you're still our meat. Go ask pigs and cows how they feel about humans. <laughs> so good. Yeah, so they're and like a van, a van pulls up with more uh, controllers with Dracon beams and Rachel again just fucks them right on up so they're <laughs> it's amazing it's, it's it's so good so rachel it's so rachel and now jake and rachel are packing dracon beams and they blow up the car and they they just run for it because it a blade chip appears and they've just got a bail i have read that if someone has a gun on you run for it is the best thing to do yeah i don't know if that's true or not but it's what i've read because they're less likely to shoot if you're running away because the farther away you get the less accurate they're gonna be okay that makes sense like drop to the ground if they're currently shooting but if they're just pointing yeah. the gun run all of my understandings about what to do if somebody pulls a gun on you are based on martial arts training so they are the opposite of what you just said okay all of my understandings that are not random internet stories of what to do are based <laughs> on corporate active shooter training which is run uh, hide or throw a stapler at them yeah the academic when i worked in universities the training was always go to the top floor of the building you're at and hope they don't come in <laughs> yeah and that's it. Run. That's all the training. So they bail. They are running. Yes. And trying trying their best to outrun a spaceship, jumping over fences. They do pretty good up until the moment the uh, hit lands really close to them and kills Marco. Yeah, Marco definitely dies just completely ignominiously. Is that a word? Ignominiously, maybe? Yeah, that's what I meant. So, yeah, they basically a shot lands close enough that they are concussed. And Jake and Rachel are like, let's do this. They turn with their Dracon beams and shoot it at it. And it takes a pretty decent hit and, and pulls off. Which is canon because Tobias once melted through the windshield of a bug fighter with a handheld Dracon beam. Yeah. So do they go straight to the mall? 
they pretty much go straight to the mall. Uh, Cassie has to pull Rachel away from Marco's corpse. Yes. Because they just started dating. And that's the worst way for a relationship to end. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I think I think if we flip back to Axe, because Axe sees Visor 1's, or Visor 3's specific blade ship land on the mall. Yes, and that's why he goes into the mall. And he has a quote that I actually, I, I wrote this down as a pull quote, because yikes. Andalite actions had severely reduced the number of surviving mm. Hork-Bajir hosts. That is such... Uh, the Andalite uh, way of describing that situation. I, once uh, again, just like last episode, I have to ask, you know, are Andalites America? We can't, Brent. You know that. We can't do that now. Not yet. Uh, not yet. Okay. He also, I think, I and I also pulled, it's not, I didn't pull the exact quote, but he comments on how technological superiority, the Yerk's technological superiority does not equal moral superiority. Because he's talking to some humans that are like, in, in Best Buy, he's talking to some humans that are like, well, they've got spaceships. They can't be that Don't evil. get it twisted. It's not Best Buy. It's Circuit City. No. Brent, he's in a Best Buy, and then he goes to a Circuit City later because the people at this Best Buy are too dumb. Okay, all right, sorry. Yes. No. Proceed. So he's in a Best Buy, and he's he's overhearing these two workers talk about how, like, they have spaceships, so the Yerks can't be all bad. Like, they've got such, if they have such advanced technology, they must be smart and wise and well-rounded and kind. And X is like, nah, y'all dumb. Y'all being idiots. I'm gonna go to the fucking Circuit City and get my electronics. Uh, but is, I, as he's en route, he sees Visor 3's blade ship land on the mall and he's like well that's where I'm going then but I thought it was just so ironic that he comments on that and I think it was meant to be I think it was meant to be a little meta understanding of Axe's complete absolute blind spot to Andalite uh what's the word I'm thinking of hubris yeah yeah given the totality of this series I think it would be not dumb necessarily but definitely irresponsible to assume that this is not a 100% on purpose characterization of Andalites because Kay Applegate knows exactly what she is doing with the Andalites. Yeah, I actually looked up the exact quote because I wanted to get it because it, it, it does put a pin on it. Uh, this is from Axis Chapter. They assumed that technological superiority must necessarily be linked to moral superiority, a natural impulse perhaps for an ignorant and primitive species. Yeah, which is real fucking rich coming from a culture whose primary sin is providing advanced technology to a quote unquote lesser species. Yeah, so I thought that was a very funny axe moment. Mm -hmm. uh, but then he's, he's like, gotta go to the mall, gotta get some shopping done. And then everything from here on out is just one long, horrible action sequence. Yeah, but it's not a horrible action sequence. I mean, it is horrible, but it's a really it's well written yes. action sequence. It's amazing. Yeah. Rachel's mall knowledge saves them multiple times. <laughs> yeah. Her mall knowledge is so good that she knows what stores they're above from the mall roof. And also when they're talking about like, where do we run once they see the Yerks start coming in? Because they, they run to the mall. I don't remember why they run to the mall exactly. I actually don't either. I actually, I don't, I don't remember what impulse sends them there. It made sense at the time I was reading it, I recall. I think, I think maybe they were just trying to escape. Oh no, there is an interlude of a couple of days after Marco gets killed where they're just on the run and they stop at the mall to get food. They describe how they're just like, they can't, they can't go back home because Jake's parents are probably controllers now. Right, right. I think Cassie reached out to her parents, but they also just can't, can't go back. And Rachel obviously can't for the same reasons as Jake. So they are just sort of 
going around and sleeping where they can. And I think they're at the mall to get food when the full-blown evasion happens. So the, a bunch of uh, controllers get dropped off at the mall to start rounding people up. Which is great because Axe is at the mall. I mean, it's lucky. It's a lucky situation. Probably <laughs> probably contrived by the Illumist. Jake and uh, Rachel still have the Dracon beam. So they're trying to dispatch enemies as they can. Right, although they end up losing both of them. Yeah, they end up losing both of them only to be saved by Axe in in a split second. Who insists that they give him the Dracon Beam because, well, you've already lost two of them. And then they they don't immediately hand it to them and he knocks it out of their hand and says, well, now you've lost three. (laughs) Yeah, which is a pretty good, that's a pretty fucking good action hero line. Right, Axe is, he's been forced to become way more competent fast. Yes. Because he, while he's talking to them, does an over-the-shoulder execution of a yerk that's running up towards them. I don't think he's done anything that cool in the main series. No, I mean, he jumped over a fence backwards once, and that was pretty cool. That was incredibly cool. Yeah. Um, This is also the moment where, uh, because Axe is outnumbered with Hork-Bajir and is in a dire situation, Rachel takes a decapitated Hork-Bajir head and kills another Hork-Bajir with the head's horns. So like she picks up a heck hork head and kills another hork with it and is like, this is the fucking baddest ass thing I've ever done. And, and it is. It is. It really, maybe in any timeline. Although that leads me to wonder, because when they met Jerahami, he split open his head and it grew back. Have they actually killed a lot of hork or have they just critically injured them and then they regenerated? Yeah, I guess we don't know to what extent they regenerate. That's a good question. I feel like at this point, we have to assume that the majority of the hork casualties have been inflicted by Visser 3. <laughs> and most of the ones that have just been like injured and then regenerated are the Animorphs. I mean, I assume Axe is beheading a lot of them like he does in this book. And I don't think you, I don't think you grow back from that. Yeah, you're not a starfish. So that was a great moment. But he, this I think is like one of the turn pins because Cassie, is, as, as Axe is running off, Cassie calls out to him, uh, is your name Axe? Are you Axe, Axum something something? Yeah, Axumilly. She, she doesn't say that. She says Axum and then kind of stumbles. And then, so she's calling out and Axe is like, yeah, do we know each other? That's not possible. And Cassie's like, nah, some shit's happening. We're gonna come with you. So they go They go up to the roof. There is a, a line that I want to call out in this section. It's in the Cassie chapter and she's talking about Rachel. She says, quote, she was vibrating with a dangerous energy, unquote. Mm. And I think that is like the best description of Rachel that has been made in these books <laughs> so far. That's like Rachel in a nutshell. She is vibrating with a dangerous energy. It's what Cassie was saying at the beginning when she was talking about how she's waiting for something. It's such, I mean, Rachel is such a fucking badass in this book. Oh my God, it's amazing. It's great. I feel like, I mean, she's always a badass, but she's really given her competency due. Like, it's not just, I'm a bear, I can take hits. It is like, she's getting work done. I feel like she's almost more of a badass in the Sultanate timeline because of the restriction of not being able to morph into animals. Yes, I think that's true. She's stuck as herself and she's still like, all right, we're doing this. Yes, but it is also her downfall because they get up they get up on the roof and she rus- rushes a hork and they don't ever specify exactly what the cause of death is for Rachel or Marco. For Marco, I have to assume concussive damage. For Rachel, I have to assume blades somewhere. It's the most Rachel possible cause of death <laughs> is what I assume. 
yeah. rushing over Bajir. Yeah, but she, um, yeah, she's killed. And then it's Jake and Cassie holding hands and axe, and they're running up, uh, they're running up the blade ship, and Cassie gets disintegrated from a Dracon beam. Which I did not see coming. No, me neither. I mean, I kind of, after Marco died, I kind of assumed like, okay... The, this is gonna be this is gonna be a tough one. I sort of thought for some reason I thought Cassie would be the one who lives to the end, but it's not. It's I mean it's sort of Jake and Axe, and they're mm-hmm. they square off against Visor Three. Can we jump back for just a second? Because yeah. when they're in the mall, there is a scene where after someone yells Andalite, the Horkbajir start piling up the escalator and the down escalator, and Jake says some of them just start jumping towards the mezzanine. And the mental image that I got from this was like when you're trying to climb a mountain. In Skyrim, <laughs> but from third person. So it's just a bunch of Horkbajir jumping at this second story and then hitting like an invisible barrier and sliding down slowly and then jumping again and getting a little farther and sliding down slowly. <laughs> And we can jump back forward. I just wanted to share that with everybody. So it's uh, at the end, it's Jake and Axe squaring off against Visor 3. And I think, do they actually kill Visor 3? Doesn't he get like sliced in half or shot? Axe dies and then Jake shoots Visor 3. Okay, yeah, that's it. Yeah, because Axe loses an arm from a Horde Vigier pretty early on. And does not, I guess, have time to morph and demorph in order to fix that bleeding out situation before he gets in a tailblade fight with Aloran controller yeah i mean they're just they're rushing they're rushing the ship i think axe is just hoping to get a message off before he dies and he doesn't but jake makes it jake kills visor three with a dracon beam axe is pretty explicit to the humans at least on their way up when they are melting the stairs in the mall that this is not about them surviving it is about them getting a message out which is real dark for a bunch of teenagers yeah i mean that's the animal people who almost by their nature assume that they will never die we get basically jake's there alone for a moment and then suddenly cassie's back yeah what the fuck yeah what what the fuck what the fuck and then the droid's real pissed yes and so yeah the droid pops up and they're like we don't know what this is because we're in an alternate timeline and then i think does marco show back up too as things start to unravel basically everything's everything's coming apart no tobias is brought back and then turned into a hawk in front of their eyes yeah they all start showing back up yeah and the droid's like hey hey illamist what the fuck yeah this is all wrong we made a deal and cassie's like no cassie knows knows cassie understands what's happening she's like no things are unraveling faster and faster now they've kind of been going off but things are really they're off they're off now they're all off and the elemis is playing real coy like uh we i i held the i held the terms of our agreement (laughs) we made another timeline this is it you don't like it you don't like how it went baby and the drone is like, ah, oh, she's subtemporally grounded. You fucking didn't reveal that. And the Elemis was like, that wasn't part of the deal. Oh, you didn't know she was subtemporally You should have done your fucking homework. Mm, how, how amusing. Uh, suddenly the Elemist is the Drode. I guess when the Drode's angry, he doesn't sound like that anymore. <laughs> yes, when the Drode is angry, he's just angry, and suddenly the Elemist becomes hedonism bot. <laughs> yeah, it's just whoever is winning gets that voice. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you mean? You agreed to this. Oh, didn't you know Cassie was subtemporally grounded? <laughs> I, I arranged all this ages ago. <laughs> <laughs> so that's actually great. <laughs> the Jode is so fucking pissed. But he got he got his wish. 
It just didn't pan out how they wanted. And then they have the Trojan sort of bounces off, and the Illumist has this super cryptid Illumist one on one with him. Fuck, I hate these. Mm, I kind of do too. They're sort of like, will it end? Will we win? What's gonna happen, Illumist? We stop fucking jerking us around. Yeah, and the Illumist is like, <laughs> wouldn't you it like will. to know? He he says it will end, and it's like, okay, well that's. I could have I could have guessed that one. Will it end or not? Yeah, it'll end somehow. The Elemist is the physical embody the sentient embodiment of a monkey's paw. Oh fuck yeah. Yes, he really is. He's like, it will end, and then one finger closes. <laughs> <laughs> spectacular so oh fuck i mean and then i think it just sort of nor- normally when the illumis does these it, there's some sort of twist where at least they've learned something i really don't i don't think they got i don't think they got anything out of this but do you think they remember it explicitly oh. cassie is the only one who remembers it. that's right yeah the none illumis of the rest that. of them do and she's like so i'll remember this and he's like yeah <laughs> yeah and she's like but i can't tell tobias that he would have become a controller because that will fuck him up hard that would be a real boner you shouldn't say that to him he's got a hard life already it's a hard knock life for tobias it would make him really depressed yeah no it's real fucked up cassie remembers this none of the rest of them do but honestly cassie's better equipped to remember this than like say jake in the forgotten is the forget am i remembering that book name right there's been a couple times where jake has been the one the very first sanrio rip yeah Yeah. the very first sanrio rip (laughs) yeah and i think that makes sense actually i'm flashing back this might be just that might just be a trope in au because the spoiler alert for stargate sg1 the very last episode is like a future au where they're on this ship and they're stuck in time and they just they age basically like they live out their natural lives like 60 years into the future and then they discover a way out but somebody has to stay old in order for them to get through the story so tilk survives because he has weird aging stuff because he's an alien and remembers everything that happens and that they are reset back to their normal ages except for him so that they they undo all that time but one of them still remembers i feel like you have to have that almost otherwise there are no stakes i mean because that's i mean that is literally what we've said about the other versions of this which is that it's all undone then why did we do it is this what other people feel like when i make references yeah yes however you felt just then yes wow i am a shitty person to talk to (laughs) it's uh it's sometimes i don't know how to respond to it brent that's the thing Sometimes they don't know how to engage with it. Anyway, Stargate's great. So they, they it ends with Cassie being like, yeah, I guess I know things. And then we get one final chapter with Jake. Yeah, and it is the same as the first chapter. Except that it ends with that still, that moment where Jake is like, I wanted to say no, I wanted. And then the drode goes, oh, forget it. Fuck off, you twerp. Oh, forget it. Never mind. Yeah, he just sort of gets impatient and storms off. And I like I like the fact that the first chapter ended with Jake not saying yes. It's just a fucking great book. Such a satisfying AU. So, so tasty. This is definitely the AU that you set your Animorphs RPG in. Oh yeah, where there's a second group that goes into the construction site. Yeah, where the first group just decides not to do the construction site, and the second group does go through the construction site, and then maybe later you can run into 
Tobias the controller. Oh, that would be so fucking good. Would Cassie, how would Cassie fit into that? Because if mm. if she in fact heard Axe's cry and it wasn't just a memory of Axe's cry in this timeline, like she could, she could be in the mix. It depends. It depends, I think, on how your individual games go. Because, mm. like, you know, whether Cassie even is some sub-temporally grounded is going to be real dependent on how your characters interact, I think, with the setting. That's cool. Yeah, I like that. I like the idea that you might be able you might be able to make contact with all of these characters, potentially. Yeah, right. Like, may- maybe this is an alternate timeline where Cassie's sub-temporally grounded and everything's falling apart. Maybe it's not, though. Yeah. Maybe it's not. Maybe you're the only hope for humanity. Mm, that's a lot of pressure. Brent. You know, people are very responsive to that sort of pressure when XP is on the line, is all I'm saying. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, well, I look forward to meeting the Hecate NPC, who is our Jenny Calendar, but not not in a way that turns out bad. So I think that'll do it for this week, right? Yeah. That's our megasode, number four. That's our final megasode. Yeah. And the, so the only non-mainline book we have left is the Illumist Chronicles, right? Yeah. And that's chronologically, I think, right before the final main book so that's between be so 53 and 54 it's really gonna be frustrating <laughs> i'm gonna have such literary blue balls it's insane oh my god yeah well well i look forward to it anyway i'm uh, yeah no i mean we're we're really in the home stretch now I, I was talking about it when we were in the 40s but or when we were in the 30s and getting to 40 but this is this is it this is the final countdown god yeah it's been a long time coming but I'm glad it's here. I mean, it's a little bittersweet, though. It is. I'll feel more bittersweet when we're closer. Right now, I'm just, like, a little relieved uh, that we've made it this far and we've done such a good job. Do you ever stop to think that we've actually both read at least one book a week this whole year? For a whole year? I mean, they were anamorph books, but... They were young adult books. They were young adult books, but... Technically, you know, it's still like, you know, well, that was the whole that was the whole point of this podcast when I suggested it was to fool myself into actually finishing the Animorphs. Yeah. And we're almost there, buddy. So if you've got anything to say about this episode or our previous episodes, uh, you don't have that many more episodes for us to repeat it on air in. So definitely email us, fandalites at gmail.com, or hit us up at fandalites on Twitter or fandalites.tumblr.com. Thank you to Dustin O'Dell for the use of our theme song. You can hear more of his stuff at dustnodell.bandcamp.com, and he's at dustnofcyt on Twitter. Uh, you can find our website at fandalites.com and our sister site, andalitetruth.org, which got kind of a popularity boost this week because Twitter personality Leon retweeted it. That's great. Did you see that? Did you see no, that thread? No, I don't think I I don't think I did. Oh, it was good. Somebody claimed it ruined their life. <laughs> that is good. That's what we're in the podcasting business for. Uh, join us again next week when we are doing, what is the book we're doing next week? Do you know? The Familiar. Until then, remember, nostalgia is a drug. <laughs> <laughs>